0: Seated tonight, uh, I'm going to turn uh, your attention in the Word of the Lord tonight to the book of First Kings. I'm speaking on the subject, the house of flesh, the house of flesh, and i i want to uh, I want to uh, just minister to you in a in a way that is, I guess, kind of special to me uh, because. Tonight marks 25 years uh, from the day that I began to uh, preach full time. I, uh, I, amen, I, 25 years old, my goodness, I was, tw- I was, pardon me, I was 25, it's been 25 years, y'all help me, Lord help me. Somebody help me. Uh, it's been 25 years. I was 25 when I came here to Cincinnati. But it's been 25 years since I preached my first revival. And uh, and it started on a Sunday, August uh, 21st, 1994. And um, and I'll never forget it. It was an amazing time. I, w- I couldn't preach. I didn't know how to preach. And uh, I-, I wanted to preach. God had put his word in my Spirit, and uh, and I could identify with what Jeremiah said when he said his word is in me like a fire shut up in my bones, Amen. I was 15 years old, and uh, Pastor Edwin Harper of Huntington, West Virginia Life Cathedral, uh, asked me to come and preach a full fledged revival. There were about 600 people in attendance, and uh, and I had three sermons, and uh, and as the as the time for the revival drew nearer, two of those sermons merged into one. I was down to two sermons. And I had, I had about nine services and two sermons. So I, and I was 15, I didn't know what in the world I was going to do. In fact, when Pastor Harper had asked me to preach, uh, he, he uh, asked me based on The fact that just a few months prior, I had been to his church with my father. My father preached to the congregation. I uh, went into the uh, chapel with the young people and preached to the young people. And by the miraculous hand of God, the Spirit of the Lord came on me while I was preaching. I had never had that happen in preaching before. I had had that happen in worship and I would, I would worship the Lord in the dance. I would worship the Lord with great uh, exuberance. And I felt the anointing of the Lord when I would worship. But when it came time to actually speak the word, I was so terrified. And I was very stage fright. I would shut down. I would freeze up. And, uh, and it would take me a good three minutes and 30 seconds to get about five pages of notes out like a speed reader, and then we're done. Let's. Oh, thank God that's over. And uh, it just wasn't working for me. But something happened on that day in March of 1994, and I was actually 14 at that time. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon me, and I had a liberty, and I was familiar with that experience because I had felt it in worship. And I realized, oh, oh, it's the same. So when I preach, I'm just basically praising in front of people to, to them about the Lord. So I just translated that, and it, and it, it began to work. So uh, Pastor Harper was told by his Sunday school superintendent, because I was preaching to the children, he said, you ought to have that boy come back and preach a revival. So he did. He asked me to come back and preach a, 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 an eight-day revival, Sunday to Sunday, every night but Monday night. It was an old-time Pentecost revival. Amen. And, uh, and so it was really something. My dad, of course, my father, my mentor, my, my dad, he, he knew that uh, I really didn't have the experience that it took to, to handle that kind of a meeting. So he decided to give me an opportunity between the invitation and the actual revival. I preached to the young people in June of 94, and it was a really, really pitiful effort. And uh, I, just, I just couldn't bring it out. I couldn't bring the thought together. It just kind of dribbled out. And, and, uh, and he actually called Pastor Harper and said, you might want to rethink this. He said we, said, we all love Joel, but uh, we don't really want him to fall out on his face. When uh, it's time to preach. So you might want to rethink. And Pastor Harper said, but, but Pastor Urshan, he said, the Lord told me. The Lord told me to ask him to preach this revival. And my dad said, well, I won't argue with God, but I will be praying for all parties involved. And so I got out to Huntington again. I had three sermons that seemed all good, but two of them merged. I'm down to two sermons. I have nine services and I get up to preach and folks, it was just, I don't know how to describe it. It was what had happened in March happened again. The spirit of the Lord came upon me and the Lord anointed me to preach and we just never looked back from that point. And uh, God blessed that whole revival. 16 people uh, received the Holy Ghost. Five people were baptized in Jesus name. Three people were dramatically healed. One woman got out of a wheelchair after being in there for years. One man was healed of his deaf ears, con- his condition of deafness. Uh, one woman was healed of rheumatoid arthritis. It was a it was a powerful experience. I I I just it was all God, and uh, but it was the beginning of something very special for me. And I've known from the beginning that that anything that came my way uh, came as a blessing from the Lord and had nothing to do with me except that uh, I was an empty vessel, and I'm grateful to the Lord. What I want to share with you tonight is simply a message I preached that week, and, uh, and uh, it was called The House of Flesh. And uh, it's from 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 8 through 10, and it, it reads as follows, In the 26th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Elah, the son of Basha, to reign over Israel in Tirzah two years. And his servant Zimri, captain of half his chariots, conspired against him as he was in Tirzah drinking himself drunk in the house of Arza, steward of his house in Tirzah. And Zimri went in and smote him and killed him in the twenty-and-seventh year of Asa, king of Judah, and reigned in his stead. And I want to just minister to you for a few moments on the subject, the house of flesh. The house of flesh. The Lord gave this message to me as I was praying about that particular meeting, and it happened to be the night of the turning point in the revival. Up to that particular Night, I was preaching, and I felt the anointing of the Lord, and people were receiving the Holy Ghost. But, but I was, I was, I was very, uh, I was, I was not breaking through in the revival quite like I knew that it could. And in just a few short days of time, the Lord moved upon that revival in such a way that on this night it broke open, and people began to come to the altar. And seek God and repent of their sins. And it had to do with, with the concept of, of the fact that the Lord wants to save us from ourselves. I saw in this passage of Scripture, the Lord showed me. You have here a man by the name of Elah, who was the king of Israel. He reigned in Israel for two years. And the Bible said that Elah had a servant... By the name of Zimri, who was the captain of half his chariots. And being the captain of half his chariots, he was a trusted servant. And he was, of course, a right-hand man to Elah. He was, although a right-hand man, he was conspiring. Little did Elah know to, to take Elah's life. He knew. That if he could find Elah in a vulnerable position, that he could slay him, remove him from his role as king, and he could become king himself. And so he watched, and he observed, and he knew that Elah had a particular habit. And this habit included a friend of his by the name of Arza, who was the steward of his house in Tirzah. The house of Arzah was a place that Elah would frequent and he would drink there in the house of Arzah. Zimri watched the pattern, observed the ritual and waited patiently for when Elah would go to the house of Arzah and drink all that Arza had available to him. And he would drink until he became intoxicated. He would drink until he became fully drunken. And then he would would lay inebriated in a vulnerable position. This is something that Elah would do, and Zimri saw him doing it. And Zimri knew when and where to pounce. So the Bible says that Zimri went in and smote him and killed him while he lay drunk in the house of Arza, the steward of his house in Tirzah. When I began to read this, I began to see similarities to the life of the child of God. You and I must understand, like King Elah, we are Of royal lineage we must understand that we are not just any old person we're not better than anybody but if the blood of Jesus is upon you you have royal blood flowing through your veins I want you to understand good and well tonight regardless of what the enemy may have told you you are royalty somebody said you are the king's kids He sees you as something other than what the enemy would try to paint you as. I'm preaching to people tonight that the enemy has told you so many lies about yourself, you don't know what to believe. But God wants you to get within proximity of what he will say about you. You may have heard the old song that said, Have a little talk with Jesus, tell him all about your troubles. He will hear your faintest cry. And he will answer by and by. When you feel a little prayer, we'll turn it. Then you know that the fire is burning. Have a little talk with Jesus makes it right. The reason that a little talk with Jesus makes it right is because outside that little talk with Jesus, you are hearing the accusations of the father of all liars. You're hearing the accuser of the brethren speak down to you and tell you what you are When in fact, you are nothing of what the devil will tell you you are. You need to have a little talk with Jesus so that you can hear who you really are. And when you have a little talk with Jesus, he will tell you, you are my child. You are my fair one. You are the apple of my eye. I love you. I give my life for you. I lay down my life for you. If you are struggling with discouragement or depression, if you're struggling with feelings of low self-worth, go to the Lord in prayer and let the Lord speak to you through his word. He will lift you up and give you power and give you a fresh and beautiful perspective about who you really are, not what the enemy says about you. You are like King Elah, you are royalty. Oh, hallelujah. And don't let the devil tell you otherwise. The devil will try to pull some kind of a skeleton out of your closet. He'll try to pull some kind of a shameful act out of your past. And hold that up as evidence of who you are. But don't let him lie to you. If you've put that thing under the blood of Jesus, that's no more a part of your life than anything, than anything that's under the blood. He has cast our sins far from us as far as the east is from the west. It has no bearing on our life. It has no authority on our life. It does not define us. We have nothing to do with that. In the name of Jesus, it is washed in the blood of the Lamb. But you, you need to understand that. You are a royal priesthood. You are a peculiar people. You are a chosen generation. If you have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, repentant of your sins, baptized in his precious name, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, you can say of yourself, I am a child of the King. Hallelujah. And if you have not experienced those things, understand that that's who he intends you to be. That's who he intends you to be. So King Elah is the king. He takes it for granted that he is the king. The throne is his. The majesty is his. The glory is his. Little does he know. But there is an individual within his cabinet, if you please, that is conspiring against him. When I read that at 15 years of age, I saw clearly, it's just like the devil. The devil conspires against you. He wants to rob you of everything the Lord would bless you with. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. The scripture teaches us, Jesus told Peter, Simon... Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. He desires to tear you down. Zimri was the conspirator against Elah. The devil is the conspirator against you. He wants to destroy your faith he wants to destroy your peace of mind he hopes to destroy your family he would love to destroy your marriage he would love nothing more than to tear down your ministry and your love for people and your trust hallelujah and your ability to have hope there's a conspirator in your life don't misunderstand This isn't something to take for granted. You might be a king's kid, but there is a devil who is ever watchful of your habits, of your patterns, of your ritualistic practices. And he seeks to devour you. The Bible says that the Lord said to him one day, Satan, what are you doing? Here among the sons of God that stood before him in the book of Job. And Satan said, I'm going to and fro throughout the earth. I'm looking for somebody to conspire against. I'm looking for easy pickings, if you please. Somebody to... Tear down somebody to wound, somebody to hurt, somebody to inflict evil upon. I want you to know the devil has not changed his modus operandi. He's still in the business of trying to wound people, he's still in the business of trying to tear down people's faith. I know that I'm preaching to somebody right now because you've had encounters with the enemy even this week where he's whispered defeatism in your ear, where he's whispered all. All manner of evil against you. He's a conspirator. And he's watching your patterns. And these patterns that that, that Elah had in his life, even though he was a king, he would try to be king one day. But then he would visit the house of Arza, his steward, the next day. And the house of Arza was a pitfall for him. It was a snare for him. Because the house of Arza had... All the drinks that he could want. And Elah had a weakness for the drink. He would walk into Arza's house and he would drink till his belly was full. He would drink until he was drunk. He would drink until he was intoxicated. King one day, making sound decisions one day, offering wisdom one day rejoicing in the majesty of his kingship one day. But the next day, he would make that fateful journey down to the house of Arza, and he would drink until he was drunk. Little did he know that the whole time he was making that trek down to Arza's house, there was a conspirator watching his every move by the name of Zimri, who had hoped to tear his life down. When I looked at this, I saw Elah as us. And I saw Zimri as Satan. And I saw the house of Arza as our flesh. I saw it as the house of flesh. The place where you go to intoxicate yourself. The place you go to indulge yourself. The Bible says that all that is in the world is the lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh. And the pride of life. And so many times people go down to this house, this house of flesh, this house of Arza, if you please, and they indulge themselves. And they think that because they're a king that they've got nothing to worry about. They think that because they've got the Holy Ghost, they've got nothing to worry about. They think that because they can... Demonstrate and describe the oneness of God, they've got nothing to worry about. They think that because they can call themselves apostolic, they've got nothing to worry about. Well, you do have something to worry about because there's a conspirator standing on the sidelines who's watching your movements, who's memorizing your patterns, who's forming weapons against you, who's paying attention to where you go and what you say and what you watch and what what you listen to and who you talk to and how you act and how you react and what your preferences are and what your tendencies are and what your inclinations are. He's watching your every move and he knows what your weaknesses are. Elah is oblivious to the whole thing. He has learned how to be king on the throne and to be a drunken wretch at the house of Arza. You can't it be both you're either a king or you're a drunken wretch you're either a king's kid you're either of royal priestly responsibilities or you are a part of this world it's time to get one foot in the church and the other foot out of the world into the church as well time to stop playing games you think it's all right it's not all right there's a conspirator There is an adversary. There is an adversary. And what ends up happening is people go down to the house of flesh. And they intoxicate themselves on whatever fleshly indulgence you want to pick. And it leaves them vulnerable. It leaves them in a place of incapacity. Unable to respond to the enemy's advances. And it can be anything. It can be getting drunk on a fence. It can be drinking yourself full of bitterness and resentment until you are intoxicated with bitterness and the enemy will pounce. It could be anything. It can be intoxication of some kind of of lascivious sin, pornography, fornication and you think it's all right because you see other people experiencing it and going down to that house, that house of flesh, and you go down to the house of flesh. King on Sunday, shouting on Sunday, talking in tongues on Sunday, dancing on Sunday, but going down to the house of flesh because it's a part of your pattern. It's a part of your habit. But there's an enemy on the prowl. There's an enemy on the loose. He's watching your every move. He is jealous of your position. Can I remind somebody that the devil was once a praiser of God? Can I remind the church that... That Lucifer was, every move he made was worship unto the Lord. He was the son of the morning. He was an individual who worshiped God. But he began to look upon his brightness as being of his own making. And his brightness and your brightness is not of your making. It is of the making of Almighty God. And he, he abdicated his throne. He removed himself from what God had created for him and he has despised mankind ever since man was formed by the hand of God in the dust of the ground ever since God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul ever since God gave man dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and the beasts of the field the enemy has had it in for that man He's got it in for you and he's got it in for your children and he's got it in for your marriage and he's got it in for your faith and he wants to tear all of it down and he knows your patterns. And he knows that if he can catch you at your most vulnerable, he can exact a kind of spirit Speedy speedy vengeance that, that would shock you. Elah never saw it coming. Elah was just drinking it up. He was enjoying the lust. He was enjoying the envy. He was enjoying the pride. He was enjoying the bitterness. He was enjoying the love of money. He was enjoying all of the fleshly indulgences he could enjoy inside the house of Arza or the house of flesh. I don't know your weakness, but I know you're human don't sit there in a sanctified posture or a sanctimonious posture I should say and act like you don't have a weakness you know you have a weakness I know you have a weakness God knows you have a weakness and the devil knows you have a weakness and you better stop catering to your weakness and stand strong in the Lord and let God uphold you by his mighty hand Don't feast on offense. Don't feast on offense. Don't feast on sadness or sorrow. Don't feast on self-pity. Don't feast on depression. Don't feast on the lust of the eyes or the lust of the flesh. Why? Because the enemy wants to see you intoxicated by those things. So that he can move in. Like Zimri moved in. He's waiting for you to get drunk on it you think, oh, I'm not afraid. I, I know the works of the enemy. I, I know the works of the enemy. Here's the thing. When you start sipping on it, you don't know when to stop. I'll just sip a little on this self-pity. I'll just sip a little bit on this, on this inappropriate interaction. I'll sip a little bit on this, on this ungodly entertainment. I know when to stop. I know when to throw up the barrier. I, I know I I can handle this, and you can't handle it. It starts to affect your spiritual senses. It starts to numb what your what your receptors are, and and what you're capable of handling. It begins to break down your defenses. You start to lose your awareness and your alertness. You start to you start to become kind of loose and free with with what you are allowing in your life. What is happening is you're entering the danger zone. You're in the house of flesh. you got to get out of the house of flesh and come to the house of prayer. I said you got to get out of the house of flesh and come to the house of prayer. The only way to get out of the house of flesh is to turn that house of flesh into a house of prayer. I can remember Jesus walking into the temple and seeing the money changers trying to profit off of the people who had come to give Sacrifice unto the Lord and he overthrew the tables of the money changers and he said God has said that his house is a house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer but you have made it a den of thieves and I want to say to whomever this applies that that temple of yours it was not to be a house of broken down compromised corrupted carnal flesh it's supposed to be a a house of prayer. It's supposed to be a place where you can commune with God. It's supposed to be a place where you can feel the spirit of the Lord, where you can feel the power of the Lord, where you can feel the touch of his mercy. Yeah, have a little talk with Jesus. Yes, tell him all about your troubles. He will hear you and he will answer you. Hallelujah, turn that house of flesh into a house of prayer. Put away the the bottle of brokenness. Put away the flask of unforgiveness and get a hold, hallelujah, of the water of life. Hallelujah, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink of the waters of life freely. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you something. It's just as real in 2019 as it was in 1994. Hallelujah. And by the help and the grace of God, until the very last breath I take, I'm going to do what God has called me to do, and that is to reach into the house of flesh and pull people out of it and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, come on, snap out of it. Snap out of it. There's a a lion walking to and fro, seeking whom he made of out. There's a devil on the loose. There's an adversary who would love to take you out. He would love to take you out and here you are. Come on, man, step out of it. You're drunk in the house of flesh. Meanwhile, the enemy is coming after your children. You're drunk in the house of flesh. Meanwhile, the devil is wreaking havoc in your home. You're drunk in the house of flesh. Meanwhile, your whole world is crumbling around you. Come on, man. Get up out of the house of flesh and come into the house of prayer. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, bless his name. Bless his name. Bless his name. I'm going to read to you what the word of the Lord says in Romans chapter 8 hallelujah listen to this there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in christ jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit for the law of the spirit of life in christ jesus Hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. What the apostle is trying to tell you is that. That in the flesh, there is condemnation. Do you know what that means? Condemnation means damnation. In the flesh, when you obey the flesh. And and all of this nonsense today about follow your heart, go with your gut. It's saying obey the flesh. You know who's behind that kind of marketing? Zimri is behind that kind of marketing. It's Zimri talking to Elah. Go to the house of Arza. Drink up, buddy. Come on, man. Get all of it you can get. He's got a big Budweiser commercial going on in Elah's Elah's hometown. Come on, Elah. Let's go down to the house of Arza and drink up the whole time knowing if I can get him drunk enough, I can kill him. If I can get him intoxicated enough, I can... I can totally take out whatever sensitivity he used to have in the Lord. And Paul is saying that there's damnation in the flesh. There's condemnation in the flesh. There's shame in the flesh. But if you walk after the Spirit, there is no condemnation. There's no more shame. There's no more guilt. You are free from the law of sin. You are free from the law of death. Hallelujah. You have victory. I said you have victory. Is there anybody that can testify to the fact that when you walk after the Spirit, there's victory. Oh, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you something. Doesn't it feel good right now in the house of the Lord? Doesn't it feel good to sing praises to God? Hallelujah. Doesn't it feel good to hear the word of God? We can walk out of this place feeling stronger. We can feel spiritually energized only to walk into the world you until you let half a day go by without praying all of a sudden you begin to feel the effects of the world come on you. Listen, you you got to you got to drink from the well that never runs dry. Hallelujah. You know what's the hardest thing sometimes for an individual who struggles with uh, alcoholism? Sometimes the hardest thing for them is idle time. Idle time. Because they used to fill that time with with drinking the the alcohol. And so then, when they're trying not to drink the alcohol, idle time so often gets the best of them. They don't know how to fill their time. Fill your time with the Word of God. Fill your time with the worship of God. And and I mean literal alcohol and I mean spiritual uh, uh, intoxication. Whatever it is that your mind is used to whatever rabbit hole your mind is used to going down, whatever Whatever, whatever pattern your mind has developed sometimes we develop thought patterns where we where we hold grudges and thought patterns where we uh, harbor feelings of shame and condemnation and we just can't seem to rise up out of it all of that are the beverages within the house of flesh fill your idle time with the word of the lord Fill your idle time with praises unto his name. Fill your idle time with speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. The enemy wants to drag you back down to the house of flesh, but you got to kick and scream and protest and, and put up a fight and say, I'm not going back down that road. There's a killer in that house, there's an adversary there waiting to smite me take my anointing take my peace take my family take my joy take the blessings of the lord from my life oh hallelujah notice what the word of the lord goes on to say in romans chapter 8 for they that are after the flesh hear what it says they do mind the things of the flesh do mind the things of the flesh that means they think about the things of the flesh That's their priorities. The things of the flesh are their priorities. But not only does it mean mind the things of the flesh in terms of thinking about them, but it also means in the same respect of when your mother used to tell you to mind her. That meant you better think so much about it that you do what I tell you to do. You better mind me. They that are after the flesh, they do mind the things of the flesh. You become a slave to what your flesh tells you to do. I said, you become a slave to the things your flesh tells you to do. That's where the word addiction comes from. Addiction is related to the word dictator. Addiction, A D D I C T, addiction, addict. Dictator, D-I-C-T. That that D-I-C-T in dictator and the D-I-C-T in addiction or addict is the same D-I-C-T. It refers to speaking. Dictionary, D-I-C-T dictionary. It has to do with words and speaking. A dictator takes control through words and much speaking. Addiction takes control because it's the accuser of the brethren telling you, you can't live without this. You've got to have this. It's time to go for it now. you got to get a fix. You have to have it now. You're minding the things of the flesh when you follow after the flesh. Oh, but listen to what it says. They that are after the spirit, they mind the things of the spirit when you're after the spirit you start thinking about the things of the spirit your mind is dwelling on the things of the spirit let me tell you what the things of the spirit are righteousness Peace, and joy, and love, and hope, and faith, and forgiveness. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Those are the things of the Spirit. And when you follow after the Spirit, you mind the things of the Spirit. Meaning, you think about them. And also meaning, just like your mother told you to mind her, you obey the things of the Spirit. You start doing what the Spirit tells you to do. Notice what the Bible says. For to be carnally minded is death. But, I love that conjunction. That conjunction, that B-U-T. It, it, it changes the nature of what's being said. Because you get into that first half of the verse. For to be carnally minded is death. If I just closed the Bible and said, all right, God bless you, it's good to see you, we'd all walk out of here with our heads hanging low, but that's not where the Bible concludes things. But to be spiritually minded his life and peace. Can I get a show of hands of folks who want life and folks who want peace? Is that what you want in your home? Is that what you want in your mind? Is that what you want in your marriage, in your career? Is that what you want when you lay down at night to go to sleep, lie and peace here I am reading the word of the Lord to you and God is telling you how to maintain a life that is full of peace for to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace what he's telling you is this to be carnally minded means you're going to have a fateful altercation with Zimri the conspirator the adversary Oh, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Why? Because a carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be subject to the law of God. In other words, it cannot be subject to the law of God. You can try as hard as you want. Your carnal mind, it is impossible for your carnal mind to be subject to God's law. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God but you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you now if any man have not the spirit of Christ he is not of his and if Christ be in you the body is dead because of sin but the spirit is life because of righteousness but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you therefore brethren we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh you don't Don't owe your flesh anything. Somebody said, oh, I owe it to myself to go and do whatever kind of ungodly, whatever they're planning to do. You don't owe yourself anything. You are not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. You don't have to go down the same pattern and path and, and, and pitfall that everybody you know has gone down. You can come to the house of the Lord and say, God, let me have life and let me have peace. Hallelujah. For if you live after the flesh... I don't know how more, I don't know how much plainer he can make it. In verse 13, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. You know what we need? We need a revival of mortification. You know there was some stuff people used to say that that was I was mortified. Anybody ever said that? I was mortified. I'm going to tell you what this world today is so desensitized. Things have gone so off track. Nobody's mortified by anything anymore. Nothing surprises us anymore. It's like there there's so much chaos and so much perversion and so much so much unrest in our world that we aren't we are surprised by anything we wake up to. But 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 the Bible says if you will mortify the deeds of your body you shall live you've got to crucify the flesh and you shall live you it's time to close that house of flesh down you need to board up the windows you need to bar the door you need to evict arza you need to shut that place down it's time to wipe it off its foundation it's time to it's time to fumigate that place you don't need to go back there you need to let the old man die and let the new man live Oh, hallelujah. There's more. There's more. The Bible says in in the book of Galatians, I want to read this to you. The book of Galatians, listen to what it says in verse number uh, 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? You ready for the works of the flesh? Here they are. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lascivious. These are the alcoholic beverages of the flesh. This is what people can get drunk on, and the devil waits for you to get drunk on it, and he kills you spiritually. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. You know what I stopped saying a few years ago? You know how you just start, you just start spouting off? I caught myself one day saying, I hate people who, whatever you wanna say following that, and the Lord stopped me and said, stop saying you hate people who whatever. And I said, oh Lord, help me Jesus. And I had to retrace my mental steps and go back and say, I hate it when such and such happens. Hatred is a work of the flesh. <clears throat> There's too much hatred in our world. Hatred is a work of the flesh. Variants, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions. Did, did you see that? He just put strife on the same level as adultery, fornication, and witchcraft. And you, you, you read a little further, listen to what he said. Seditions, heresies, envyings, murders. He put envy and murder on the same level. These are the works of the flesh. Murder is the work of the flesh. Envy is the work of the flesh. Witchcraft is a work of the flesh. Hatred is a work of the flesh. And yet you think it's okay to envy and you think it's okay to hate. It's not okay to envy. It's not okay to hate. It's not okay to murder. It's not okay to fornicate. All of it is a work of the flesh. It's what will get you intoxicated to the point of utter destruction in your spirit. Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before as I have also told you in time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And again, if I were to put a big exclamation point at the end of that statement and dismiss everybody, we'd probably be depressed. But that's not where the word of the Lord concludes. But there's that conjunction. There's an alternative. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ, hear this, hear this. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh. Let me tell you what it doesn't say. They that are Christ's are coping with the flesh. Let me tell you what it doesn't say. They that are Christ's are managing the flesh. Here's what it doesn't say. They that are Christ understand that their flesh is a problem and are dealing with it. And it absolutely doesn't say they that are Christ's have a flesh problem and don't really care that they got a flesh problem. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh. You can't, you can't claim to follow Jesus Christ unless you've crucified the flesh. He didn't say, take up your picnic basket and follow me. He didn't say, take up your songbook and follow me. He didn't say, he didn't even say, take up your Bible and follow me. He said, take up your cross. Because what this thing is going to do, it's going to thoroughly crucify your flesh. When you get done following me, your body, your flesh, your carnal desires are going to be nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, bless his name. 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 While I was preaching it that night, this wasn't in my plan, but while I was preaching that night in 1994 on the house of flesh, and I was talking about Elah becoming intoxicated, getting drunk, losing his life because there was a conspirator who was looking for him, waiting to pounce. The Lord brought to my attention 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, right in the middle of the message. And this is what the word of the Lord says. Be sober. Be vigilant. Why? Why be sober? Why be vigilant? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I don't know what you're inclined to sip on. I don't know what kind of feeling you bend toward. I don't know what kind of temptation your flesh pulls at you with, but I do know it's a destructive thing. And if the devil can find you drinking yourself drunk in the house of your own carnality, he will pounce on you when you least expect it. It's time to be sober. It's time to be vigilant. It's time to understand I'm a child of God. It's time to understand he washed me in his blood. He filled me with his Holy Spirit. I will not walk in the degradation of this world. I will not go down to the house of flesh. I'm going to stand, hallelujah, upright in the house of the Lord. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may behold the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life, and to inquire in his his temple oh hallelujah hallelujah i wonder if somebody could just lift your hands and lift your voices right now say lord help me help me help me lord help me lord help me lord i don't know if i if i've interjected into somebody's circumstances to where you found yourself drinking in the house of flesh but the lord wants to raise you up out of those circumstances Hallelujah. It's true. 25 years later, it's still true. It's still true that you're a child of God. It's still true that the Lord is on the throne. It's still true that God has a plan for your life. It's still true that there's an adversary trying to destroy you. It's still true that if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. It's still true. Hallelujah. I wonder if there's somebody that could stand with me right now and just say, God, I want to live after the Spirit. I want to walk in the Spirit. I want to live in the Holy Ghost. I want to walk in the Holy Ghost. Come on, lift up your hands all across this building, if you would. And lift up your voice unto the Lord. Come on, lift up your voice unto the Lord. Lift up your hands. Lift up your voice. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to just say to you, I want to say to you, if you have made a habit at all, at any point in your life, of visiting the house of flesh, you ought to thank God with all your heart you're still alive. Because the devil had designs on you. And I could stand up here and go through stories and statistics of people who visited the house of flesh thinking it was okay to go there one last time and that was the last thing they ever did people who thought I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and and snort this last line of cocaine and it was the last thing they ever did people who said I'll go out partying this last night and it was the last time they ever did it people who said I'm not I'm not really intoxicated I, I can drive myself home and it was the last thing they ever did people who people who maybe didn't drink themselves but 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 hadn't given their heart to God and were on their way home and somebody who had been drinking crossed the median and it was the last night of their life. You you know I'm telling the truth. You know I'm telling the truth. I wonder what kind of a revival we could have if those who have gone beyond the threshold of death could stand up here and preach. That's what the rich man who lifted up his eyes in hell spoke out and said, if somebody would come from the dead and tell my brothers what lies beyond the grave, this hell that waits for them, then surely they would believe. But, 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 But Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets and if they don't believe Moses and the prophets then they won't believe someone who would rise from the dead and that's exactly what did happen. They didn't believe Moses and the prophets and they didn't believe the one who rose from the dead because Jesus did in fact rise from the dead and he is the faithful witness. And you're not going to hear the words of those who have gone beyond the grave. You're not going to hear the testimony of those who lift their eyes in hell and torment. You're going to hear the faithful testimony of Jesus Christ and decide whether you believe it or not. I'm going to tell you, I don't want anything this world has to offer. I'm leaving the house of flesh. I'm leaving the house of flesh. I don't want anything to do with carnality. I don't want anything to do with temptation. Lord, I am yours. I am yours. I am yours. You hear me tonight, if you're struggling, don't feel like you're alone. You're not alone. Every person in this building understands what it's like to struggle with the flesh. Every person in this building understands what it's like to struggle against temptation. There's not a one of you that's alone. If you know what it's like to struggle against temptation. Lift up your hands and praise the Lord right now that he's delivered you. Come on. Give him praise that he's delivered you one more day, one more time. Hallelujah. One more day, one more time, one more night, one more day to be in his presence. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I'm going to tell you something. God could have taken his hand the favor off of you at any time. God could have removed his hand off of you at any time. But thanks be to God who have given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I feel like there's a real spirit of thanksgiving that's in this place tonight. I feel like there's a real spirit of gratitude that's in this place tonight. Come on, if that's you, hallelujah. If you've just got gratitude in your heart, feel free to come down to the front right now and give God all of the praise. If you want to turn from your wicked ways, feel free to come down. Hallelujah. And let the Lord have his way. Let the Lord have his way. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, that's it. Let God move upon you right now. Ooh, hallelujah. Come on, if you're struggling with flesh in your life, bring it to the altar. Bring it to Jesus and say, Lord, I lay it down, I lay it down, I lay it down. Lord, I lay it down. I lay it down. Come on, it doesn't matter what your struggle is. Your struggle can be with pride. Your struggle can be with love of money. Your struggle can be with unforgiveness. Your struggle can be with lust of the eyes. Your struggle can be with envy or adultery. Whatever your struggle is, bring it to Jesus. Run from the house of flesh. Make a mad dash to the house of prayer. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe your struggle is doubt. Maybe your struggle is unbelief. Maybe your struggle is that you simply are having a hard time putting your faith in God. Bring that struggle down here. Lay it before the Lord. Lay it before the Lord. Lay it before the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.
1: Hallelujah. Hallelujah.
0: There is power in the name. name
1: There is power in the name of Jesus. Break Break every
0: chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. Oh, there is power. In the name of Jesus. There is power of Jesus, hallelujah, there is power in the name of Jesus, hallelujah, to break every chain, break every chain, break every chain, to break every chain, break every chain, break break every chain there
1: is power. power in the name
0: of Jesus oh there is power Woo, hallelujah in the name of Jesus yeah Come on, that's it. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the Holy Ghost. I hear the chains falling. Yeah. I, I, I hear the chains falling. I hear the
1: chains
0: falling. I
1: hear the chains
0: falling. Come on, that's it. Praise him for the victory. Praise him for the victory. Praise him for the victory. Rejoice in the I God hear of your chains, salvation. I hear those chains fall Come on, God's getting ready to break a chain off of your mind. Break a chain we off of your spirit. Chains, I, I hear, hear the chains. chains. I hear those chains. Fall